Hot Copy Podcast with your host Kate Toon and Belinda Weaver. Over the next 20 minutes or so, we'll be sharing the secrets of successful copywriters, including copywriting tips, shortcuts, writing resources, interviews and laughs, all focused on helping you become a better copywriter. I'm Kate Toon and this is my co-host Belinda Weaver. Hi there. Today we're going to be interviewing Kelly Exeter. Kelly is a highly successful and popular blogger at A Life Less Frantic, manager of Swish Design and currently editor of Flying Solo and the published author of Your Best Year Ever. Hello Kelly. Hello Kate. Hello Belinda. Hi Kelly. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. started. We're very excited to have Kelly here today. Um, Kelly, I just gave you a little bit of an intro, but would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I guess the nutshell is I'm a mother of two, wife of one, a writer, a blogger, designer, business owner, and as you mentioned, um, editor of Flying Solo. Good Lord. That's quite a <laughs> resume. Quite, quite a lot when I, when I say it like that. <laughs> It does. It sounds full on. So how do you find time to do all of that stuff? Are you just like working through the night? Oh, no. Actually, no. Yeah, well, this is a year. Like last year was quite a full on year. I um, got dragged kind of back into – so my husband runs the business that I started um, in 2006. I started Swish Design, which is a website and graphic design company in 2006. Um, he took over running that probably about four years ago now. And I had, we had our second child a couple of years ago. Um, we had Mia in 2013. So I had, you know, 2013 was all about her and being mum to her. And then 2014, I was supposed to be working in the business part-time. And that didn't really work because I don't, you don't really seem to be able to work in your own business part-time. I kind of got sucked back into the vortex a bit. I, that's why I took the flying solo role, apart from the fact that it's, you know, bit my dream role. It was also, it's given me the opportunity to step away from our business and just do kind of content marketing and look after our staff. But it's allowed me to step right out of the front line for that business and, yeah, be much more front line for, for flying solo, which is a far more defined job, which is really, it's been really nice. And you were also a, a finalist in the Writer Centre blogging in 2014. So in amongst all that, you nailed yeah. blogging, got recognised as a finalist and you were at Pro Blogger as well. Well, I'm a speaker this year at Pro Blogger and yeah, last oh. year that was really nice. It was, a, it's kind of a bucket list thing to have, to be a finalist in the Australian Writer Centre blogging award. So that was, um, pretty cool. And you were too, Belinda? Yes, yes. I was yeah, really yeah. chuffed again. I was um, so pleased. Bucket list item um, that I could tick off. So, I, yeah, I was really happy with that. But I'd just, like like just like to point out here that I wasn't a finalist <laughs> and I'm a little bit bitter about it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's not on my bucket list. I've got much more exciting things on my bucket list. <laughs> can stuff it. Thanks. Anyway, moving on. So, I've got a question for you, Kelly. How did you actually get started with writing? I mean, you said you started Swish Design, but when yep. when did you make that transition into being very uh, more centric on the writing side of things? 
Well, I think I've probably really been writing my whole life. So since I was a kid, I, you know, I love to read. I love to write. I wrote short stories. I edited newsletters at school. I, you know, anything that was that kind of thing. You know, when I did triathlon, I ran their website and wrote articles and created their their weekly, um, their monthly newsletter as well. And then it's funny because, um, despite doing all that writing. I studied exercise and sports science at uni and then went from that uni degree into graphic design (laughs) uh, and became a graphic designer, which is really logical. Um, But, you know, I've always loved design as well. I've always liked making things look pretty. So I, um, yeah, so when I became a designer, writing really took a backseat for a long time for probably a good six or seven years and I really only came back to it Probably about five years ago, I was, you know, I was a bit overwhelmed and a bit lost and a bit over everything and I really needed something that was just for me in amongst everything else that I was doing in life. So that's when I started blogging and it was just so nice to be able to, you know, write whatever I wanted to write and, you know, whenever I wanted to write it and, and, you know, and have a little bit of an audience to read it as well because anyone who's a writer who says, oh, I only just write for myself is lying. Um, <laughs> we, we, you know, really, we, we, we don't want to write just for ourselves. We want other people to, re- you know, read our words. And blogging was so cool for that because, you know, you not only got to re- write but you got, you know, you got that feedback instantly as well. So blogging kind of really got me writing again, which was, you know, it was really fun and exciting. And, and I mean, you talk about writing for an, for an audience and, and now you seem to have a sort of serious following of, of admiring fans. How have you, how do you, what do you account for that? I mean, obviously your, your glowing personality and fabulous writing skills, but, you know, I think many bloggers would be envious of the followers, following that you have. How do you think you've managed that? I would say it's probably because I'm a helper at heart and, you know, it is, blogging is just such a fantastic way to help a lot of people. So I, you know, I talk about the overwhelm that I kind of got myself into a few years ago and that was because I was, you know, I was a bit trying to help the world, trying to help every single person that came, you know, that I came across, which of course is not sustainable and not really cool when you have a family because you're usually helping them last. So um, what blogging has done for me and is it's allowed me to, help people much more you know help a lot more people than I could like you know just being me and help them via writing so it kind of almost allows me to put up a little bit of a barrier but still help in some way and for whatever reason I've I've seemed to have found a decent kind of balance there so um, the other thing that people have told me that they like about my writing is I never tell people what to do. So I think that's something that people seem to connect with. I kind of go, well, look, here's my experience and here's what I learned from it. Take from it whatever you like, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to sit here and presume anything about your life and tell you this is what you should do. Cause that's kind of not my style. So I think that's, that's the main reason it's the helping people through sharing my experiences but never ever presuming that I know everything and I've got all the answers. No, that's a Does that make really, sense? Yeah, perfect <laughs> sense. That's a really great yeah. position to speak from. I think it's very empowering when you do that. 
Um, do you have, do you, I mean, I think that's a great tip for people and, and I'd love to know, can you give us some tips for, for blog writing, maybe for people who are, are starting out with their blog or they're thinking about their blog? Cause it be, can be quite intimidating. I know that I speak to new copywriters all the time who say, I know I should have a blog, but I just don't know what to say, or I don't feel I'm, um, enough of an expert. Um, do you have any kind of great tips for, for people in that position? Yeah, I mean, I hear that a lot as well because I, you know, through my design business, I've been trying to get my clients onto blogging for years as well because it's such a fantastic way to build connections and show the personality of your business. And, you know, it's great for SEO as well. But I just think it's so valuable for setting yourself apart from, you know, I always use the example of accountants like, you know, okay, if I'm looking for an accountant and I might, you know, I'm looking online. And every single accountant's website is exactly the same. They're all professional. They all look neat and tidy. They all show that this accountant knows what they're talking about. So if one of those accountants has a blog and, you know, it's written in their voice and I can see that they both know what they're talking about but, you know, they're also a nice person and can communicate clearly in my language, you know, that's pretty amazing. And I think, you know, so it's the whole, um, what it, what's the thing, it's the, is it the paradox of knowledge or the problem of knowledge? I can't think of the right word, but, you know, we all think that just because we know something, everybody knows it, mm. but but they don't. You know, I just tell people, think about all the questions that you get asked. You get you would get asked the same questions over and over again by your clients. So when your clients are saying to you, Belinda, oh, I just don't know what I would write about, like you would just answer those questions in a blog post in your own personal conversational style and it just, you know, that's the whole thing. So blogging done well is a conversation. So you take your knowledge, you present it to people in a very conversational style. They're going to, you know, both be grateful to you for putting your knowledge onto the web for them to consume for free but they're also really going to connect with the fact that, you know, there's a very distinct voice coming through. So, Blogging is a conversation, but also blogging is all about the reader. So this was something that I had to learn. Actually, it was um, Tim Reed and Luke Moulton from Small Business Big Marketing who kind of taught me this. I I kind of sent them some of my stuff to critique and they came back and they said, you know, know, this is all, this is when I was writing for Swish Design, um, which I still do. They said to me, Kelly, you know, this is all very nice and it's all very well written and it's all very um, chatty and conversational but it's all about you guys and no one cares. <laughs> um, you know, they said they care but they don't really. You know, people really only, you know, it's the whole what's in it for me thing. So it's all very nice that what Swish Design's doing in the office and what you've been working on and what awards you might have won but really no one cares. They want to know what, you know, what do you know that can help them. So you know, I was saying to people the other day, if you look at our blog now on the Swish Design site, it's all about, you know, you, the reader. Everything is geared towards, you know, I, I wrote something about um, increasing cash, cash flow in business because we did a couple of things in our business that really helped with cash flow and I shared that. And, I mean, that's got absolutely nothing to do with graphic design or web design but it's got everything to do with running a small business and all our clients are small businesses. So, I guess that's the hardest. With blogging, you have to know who's reading your blog and then you have to make sure that you are being incredibly useful to those people reading your blog. So every blog post should have a payoff 
And I guess the biggest tip with regard to that payoff is that your headline will make a promise and the payoff for the person reading it is that your post must deliver on the promise of that headline. Mate, I've got lots more, but... No, that's good, that's good. <laughs> I, think, um, I think the headline one is a great one and, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of clickbait headlines because I find them very amusing. Yes. But I know that a lot of people get very frustrated with it because, you know, they've... Wow, they've wasted three seconds of their lives clicking through and it's not really yeah. about hedgehogs. Um, so, yeah, um, I think you've got to tread very carefully and, as you said, you know, make that promise, deliver... In, in your content and I agree as I you know I think the audience tip is great and I beg to differ slightly with you I'm going to call you out on, on one thing because I think um although you do provide a lot of useful advice and, and you know you make it all about the audience I think after a while when you have built up a bit of a rapport with your readership people are a bit more interested to know about you so you Kelly Exeter you you know once you've got a bit of a profile I think you, you are allowed to kind of loosen the reins a little bit and talk a little bit more about yourself I mean yes you're hoping that people are therefore going to go oh that's just like me she's just like me I get that but you know I think some of the really big bloggers they talk quite a lot about themselves now but they've maybe built up permission to do that do you know what I mean definitely Uh, I think and I guess that's a really important point because what that is it's it's storytelling isn't it and that that's when you really start making great big gains in blogging and really great connections in blogging is when you incorporate storytelling into your blogging and usually you're going to be telling your own story because it's you know not really cool to tell other people's stories unless they've given you quite explicit permission to do so so yeah I definitely do that in my writing now on my personal blog and on the business blog is you know I do talk about myself a lot um (laughs) via a story but I do try to ensure that it's not like here's my story and here's this thing that I did like I will always you know go here's my story and then here's what I learned from this experience and it might be something that you can put to good use too so that's kind of how I um incorporate the two things into one I do try you know very very I kind of feel like if you just tell a story without any kind of payoff or learning for your reader it's just a diary entry yeah, and, um, I'm a, and I have a little bit of an aversion to diary entries. I just think, you know, people will read them but they're not really going to connect with them and they're certainly not really going to share with them and really that's how we know our blog posts are connecting with people and really hitting a nerve is when they start sharing and commenting on it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, moving on from blogs a little bit, I think, um, you know, both Belinda and I are very, you know, interested in, in how you went from writing blogs to um, putting them all together or putting the thoughts together into a book. You know, what was the steps that you went through to do that? I guess the book I had kind of written it in my head via my blogs, but also you know, I, I run most days and I'd written it in my head a lot while I was running. And um, it's funny, I read um, Michael McCallagrix's book, Life in Half a Second, and I read that book and I was like, oh, first of all, that book was short, so it was very short and sweet and to the point, and there was no waffle, um, it was just exactly what it promised, and I went, oh, books don't have to be 50,000 words and, you know, lots and lots of, you know, padding and da-da, like, books can be like this book that I've just read, and I'm like, I've got a book that I want to write that's just like this. So I kind of like, you know, it lit a fire under me a little bit. And so at Christmas that year, so I think I read his book at the end of November. So then I put it out to my readers, to my um, to my Facebook page. So I was going to write a book and release it in January. 
And I already kind of had the outline. I already knew what I was going to write. I was writing a lot about my own experiences. So there was research involved, but not a whole heap of research. So what I did was over the Christmas break, like our um, Swish Design shuts down around Christmas Eve and we don't usually reopen until early January. So there was about a 15-day break there. In those 12 days, I wrote the book. So each morning I would write a chapter and each evening I would do the um, – the research and you know kind of get my head around the chapter for the next day and repeat I think I gave myself Christmas day off um, and yeah so by early January and I told my editor to expect the first draft on you know the 4th of January or something yeah I just sat down and I just made it happen and yeah and I got it to my editor on the 4th of January and then I spent the rest of January kind of going back and forth with him and refining it and making it good enough for publication and I guess this is the beauty of self-publishing is that you can you know I'm a designer as well so it helped because I could design my own book and yeah I got it yeah I achieved my goal I got it up by the end of January last year that's which intense was, I wouldn't repeat that process it was pretty intense um, yeah. And it was full on because that's my holiday period and I use that whole holiday because, of course, it's not just the morning writing the book and the evening researching the book. If you guys would know that then you spend the entire day, your head's in kind of book mode, you're thinking about the book, you're thinking about what you can write. So it was, you know, it was very intense and full on and I, of course, entered January and then, you know, and then I went back to work. I was a bit mentally shattered by the end of January. Um so I wouldn't probably do that again, but um, but it shows but it the power. I love that kind of telling people you're going to do something. You you make public your own deadline. It's incredibly motivating. Oh, it's very motivating. So you know, you put it out there, and then you just make it happen. And do you, how do you think the uh, book has uh, impacted? You know, your blogging, your your what you do. You know, have you noticed changes since you've since you had the book? Um, you know, it hasn't changed. Have you made millions? No. <laughs> I wish I'd made millions. <laughs> like, also, yeah, they, all my research and certainly what they say is you, you, you're certainly not going to make money from your first book unless you know you're E.L. E. James. You're not going to make money from your second book. It's really only you. Know, it's about the third book when things start to kick in and that was kind of the thinking that I thought like, well, if it's not until the third book that things really kick in, then you've really got to get that first book written and get it out there, Kelly. Um, and I'd intended to have my second book written by now as well but unfortunately that has not happened for various reasons. But, yeah, that that book's been great for just getting my name out there, um, getting the message out there. It's been downloaded you know, off Amazon and off my own website, you know, both paid and free promotions over 7,000 times. So it's pretty cool to know that it's in it's in at least 7,000 people's hands. And really it's just the ideas that I wanted to spread. Like that book is all about, you know, all the techniques and things that I've learned, you know, to kind of get myself from a very, very bad place to a very, very good place. Um, and I've had so many people write to me and say, you know, that this bit's resonated and that bit's resonated and I've made this change thanks to my book, et cetera. And really that's that's the payoff for me is mm, knowing that, that it's actually rewarding. genuinely helping people. Yeah. So, you know, it's nasty. I have made – I've certainly made anything I invested into it, I've made that back and more and it's paid for a few little things here and there, little trips here and there, which has been really nice. But – um. 
yeah, the main payoff for the book has been the fact that it has genuinely helped people and that, that to me is just, just unbelievably cool. It's a huge achievement. Well done, you. Yeah, and, thank and you. for the <laughs> listeners, can you just share the title? Where can they get the book? Uh, yep, so it's called Your Best Year Ever and you can get it from my oh, – probably the best place is yourbestyearever.me and if you know that kind of t- tells everyone all about the book and it gives the various links for whether you want to buy it from Amazon as a paperback, um, whether you want to buy it from my site as a PDF or whether you want to buy it on Kindle. So it's available in all formats. Cool. And yeah, yourbestyearever.me. Now you mentioned um, the right you're the writing over Christmas madness, and then you <laughs> sent it to your editor, and you're the editor of Flying Solo. So I wondered if you can share some editing tips with us because I have to admit, um, in the last couple of years of my writing, I've started to focus more and more on editing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd love to get some editing tips for you. I'm sure the listeners would as well. <laughs> It's all about you. It's all about you, Belinda. Damn straight. <laughs> we only interview people we want to interview to get their ideas. You see. <laughs> I guess my number one editing tip is to give your piece room to sit for a while once you've written it. Um, and this is something that most of us don't really get the chance to do. We're always on deadline. We're always having to just get it done and make it good enough. Um, but if you have the ability to write something and then let it sit for at least a day but longer if possible, it just means you're going to come back to that piece and the things in it that aren't kind of contributing to the message that you're trying to get across are just going to become so much more obvious than they are if you, you know, write a piece in the morning and then you submit it in the afternoon, like, you know, we're all writers, it's always going to be good enough, but we, you know, we probably get tired. I think that was a frustrating thing about 2014 for me. So I got the book written and I got it out there and then 2014 I got dragged back into the business full-time or more than full-time and it just felt like everything I wrote last year was just good enough and, you know, I want to be hitting it out of the park, not every single time but, you know, more often than not. But that And that was because I just never had time to let something sit and breathe and you know there's not it doesn't just sit there like you'll go for a run and you'll just and all of a sudden like you'll think about a much better way to end the article or a much better point you can make or a much better way to make your point so all these things happen if you if you have time to let something sit but the other thing and I'll come back to the headline again if you're trying to edit your piece and you're trying to audit your piece we all know about you know quite often you, you should be able to chop 20% out of whatever you've written because 20% of it's not really adding to the message or taking people to the message. And a good way to kind of audit it because a lot of people are like, well, I don't know which bits to chop out. How do I know? Well, go back to your headline and go, right, my headline's made a promise here. Is this bit taking people towards delivering on that promise. Is this bit taking it? Like so that's kind of what I do. I, I look at the headline, I, you know, so this is when I'm editing for Flying Solo and someone sent me an article. I go, okay, well what's the promise that they're making in the headline? And quite often like, you know, you might get two or three paragraphs in and the first two or three paragraphs might be might be waffle because, you know, they're just trying to do a bit of a longer intro and you don't need that long intro. You just need a like a three line intro before you get into say your five points. So I can chop three paragraphs right there at the start. So another way to audit 
your article because sometimes you've written yourself a headline that you actually can't deliver on. So sometimes you have to take the, uh, the headline out of the equation, read through your article and go, what am I actually trying to say here? Like what's the payoff for the reader? What do I want to get out of the what, what do I want them to get to the end of this article and know or how do I want them to feel or what do I want them to be inspired to do? And once you can nail that down, then you might need to rewrite your headline and then start your audit again of, okay, is what I've written here delivering on that headline? Whatever's not delivering on that headline, you might have five points and those five points might have to become four points because one of those points is really weak or it's not really doing what it, you know, it's not delivering on that headline. So, and you chop that point out and now you've got four ways of how to edit your article really well. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I mean, I must admit that I actually use an editor sometimes, not always, but quite often I use an editor on my pieces just because I find it very difficult to, to go back through that process of reviewing my yeah. writing again and again. I just don't enjoy it at all. And I'd rather move on to creating the next new thing and let someone else fiddle around with it a bit than, than I would go through it. What about you, Belinda? Did you, do you use to edit your own stuff or did you have a proofer? Or a- um, I use a proofreader because I'm a terrible proofreader. Um, but I... In the last couple of years, I've become a lot better at editing and basically from the point of view of hacking really, of trying to cut the amount of words on the page and I read through and I basically go, do I need this word? Do I need this word? Do I need this word? Like that's really granular and I just Mm -hmm. try and kind of almost challenge myself, how many words can I take out of this paragraph um, without it losing meaning? So I really like that tip of making sure each paragraph and sentence delivers on the payoff. But at the granular level, I just try and take as many words out as I can because I love reading really great copy that's super lean and I'm always kind of envious yeah. of that those that kind of writing. So that's the challenge I set for myself. But when it comes to proofreading, oh, I just get someone else to do that. <laughs> I, I thought um, interesting that Kate said what she said because I actually love the editing process. I I find that dirty first draft the worst bit, and then once I've got my first draft out, that that bit of editing and refining and making it better, I just adore it. But that said, I will get to a point where I go, oh, I'm a bit over this article, and I will get it off to an editor. Um, and I always find that once it's been to the editor and come back to me, then oh, it's like fresh eyes. I can look at it with fresh eyes again once they've had a had a go at it, and um, and then I can do a bit more refining as well. So it's funny all the different processes that that we have. Yeah, yeah. and also the bits you enjoy because I, I mean I could I write I write very very quickly, so I pump out that. You know, I, I know it's quite. Uh, Kelly is actually my editor when I send in articles <laughs> to Flying Solo, and I'm always. She's always saying, "Kate, you know they're actually due yesterday. Uh, you can have another day." And I'm like, "Oh no, I have to write it right now." So I'll bang them out in about you know 15 minutes, and, and then I do leave them alone for like five minutes, and then I'm like, "I really want to get rid of this," so I send it off. And I'm noticing that my editor, I use a great guy called Bill Harper. Uh, from Sharper Copy, and I'm noticing that he's correcting less and less, which makes me feel less and less terrible as a writer every time he sends them back. There's less and less changes. Definitely. Well, Bill is actually my editor as well. Oh, let's go. Bill You get around a bit, Bill. Um, <laughs> and I think, like, I take, I'm the same. I take quite, you know, so obviously I've learnt a lot 
from Bill editing my work and I now naturally, you know, the things I know that he's going to edit out or yeah. the mistakes he's going to make, I make them myself first. And, yeah, I, I always find it interesting when it comes back from him to see what he's changed and what he hasn't. And I do take great pride if he hasn't had to change much. as much as last time. Yeah, I'm, I'm terrible with that and so's. I start every sentence yeah. with so comma. So I always do a that and so search after I've written. Okay, so we, you know, we've talked a lot about um, writing today, but obviously, as you, as you said, you kind of started out more in the design field. And, and where do you feel you sit now? Do you think you're a designer or a writer, or do you have to choose between the two? Can you be both? Oh, well, this is really interesting because... You know, I've, they've always been very separate things for me. I love being a designer. I just, it's something I adore doing and I love being a writer. But recently I've discovered things like SlideShare, which I know a lot of people just throw up their, you know, they do a presentation somewhere and they throw up their presentation on SlideShare. But I've discovered SlideShare as a medium where I get to combine my writing skills with my design skills. So, you know, I write something out, I have a message that I want to impart and then I create a slide share that is, I think, <laughs> quite beautiful. So it's, you know, it's visually lovely to look at but it also delivers a really beautiful message as well and I guess it's a bit along the lines of I've written many manifestos that I've, you know, I've, you know things like a manifesto for a simple life, a manifesto for mums, a manifesto for success and they're things where I've written the words and then I've designed them into this, you know, into a beautiful manifesto. And these do get shared around a lot on the internet, which is really nice because it means they're, you know, to me that means that it's both the words that are resonating but also the design as well. I love kind of having both skills but I especially love when I get to put both the skills to together. That's a really especially sweet spot for me and I'm really excited about exploring that kind of, the combination of the two further in yeah in years to come I, I'm, I'm the same I, 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 I would never say I'm a designer but I do I did do a lot of my design before I actually got a proper one and I yeah. love I, that's why I love Canva I love I, yeah. I, I like I don't do manifestos and such but I like making up my own quotes and my own inspirational or rather anti-inspirational memes I love doing those <laughs> cynical memes that's kind of and I like laying them out in Canva and I like laying out my little testimonials and you know I've, I do all the graphics for hot copy and I uh, well not the, the logo Kate, Kate from one to one creative did that but you know I love fiddling around with design as well and I find it rests my brain from writing yes and I think it's I just think we're such highly visual people like human beings are highly visual and I think that if you are able, if you've got a message that you want to impart and you're able to do that in a really highly visual way, well, then that message is going to travel so much further than, you know, just if we just write. Yeah. And I just think, yes, yeah, it's, it's really, it's a quite powerful combination of skills. Yeah. I'm envious your, of you both because I would say that I am graphically challenged. <laughs> the simplest thing in Canva takes me so long and I'm like, and it still looks terrible, but I'm just going to end it because I've wasted two hours here. So <laughs> I, I really envy those kind of skills. I can't, like, I don't think that way and I can't explain myself that way. But you're right, Kelly, we are visual. So I really appreciate beautiful design. I just can't translate my <laughs> ideas into that format. <laughs> you're a frustrated designer. Yeah, I think, and I think I am too. And I'm always a bit sort of, 
gutted when I've spent like half an hour making something in Canva and then I give it to my designer and she just, I don't know, she just brings something to it that I would never have been able to bring to it. She just, you know, I, I should do a few before and afters because often I mock it up <laughs> to show her and then she does it and I'm like, oh my goodness, like, what am I even wasting my time? So yeah, I, I enjoy it, but I'm not very good at it. I think. That, I, think I was just going to say, I think you're, you're much better than you're giving yourself credit for, Kate. And I would say, oh, you know, when I, feel, when I feel like that, I just go, well, this is why I'm a copywriter. I am yeah. not a designer. I think in words and this is where my skills are. And so, I mean, that leads on to my a question I thought of for you, uh, Kelly, is would you ever consider being a full-time copywriter? Have you ever done that? Yeah, I have considered it and I have kind of dipped my toes in it briefly. But what, what I've found is writing takes a lot of energy for me, um, takes a lot of headspace, takes a lot of, yeah, just a lot of energy. And Whereas designing something I love equally doesn't. I, mean, I can design with half my brain switched on, whereas writing I can't. And also writing consumes me like, you know, I'm thinking about it all the time. I'm, you know, pondering that thing, whereas I don't do that with design. And I, so what I've kind of, and you know, the place I've ended up in is I'll kind of use that's why editing Flying Solo is such a sweet spot for me because I don't have to do all the writing. So editing doesn't take up that kind of same, I guess, headspace. Like I can read someone's article and I go, right, I know what they're trying to say here and I know exactly what tweaks I need to make to what they've written to get that point across. And that's, you know, that's a nice space for me to be in. But the actual writing itself, I've decided you know, as much as possible, I want to do writing that's just for me um, and driven by me. And yeah, I don't enjoy it when I do it for money, essentially. Um, I might, but I enjoy there's, designing for money. There's, there's something to be said about that, probably some kind of life rule, but. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there's something, you know, really cool that I could say here. But, yeah, in the end, it's just, yeah, I don't enjoy writing for money. Um, to me, writing is, is something I just love and I love being able to do it in a very self-directed way. As soon as I um, am hemmed in by someone else's rules and and having to understand, trying to get into someone else's head, I find not difficult but I don't enjoy it. And I know, you know, I'm sure we can all speak to this when you do have children and your time starts being um, hamstringed by our wonderful little people mm. you just simply can't spend time on something that doesn't feed your soul like it, it yeah that's the end of it you know <laughs> if you don't enjoy doing it you can't spend your time doing it it's as simple as that no that, especially when you've got options I guess like if I didn't have the option of designing then maybe I would have to suck it up a bit and do copywriting for money but because I have got that option um yeah it's been an easy choice to make so you know you 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 don't necessarily want to make money through writing but you do make money through writing because you've written a book and you've sold that so you know what are your what are your top tips from making money from your writing without actually having to be a copywriter, I guess? Does that make sense? Yeah, or even if you want to be a copywriter, I mean, just because I don't want to be a copywriter um, doesn't mean that a lot of people out there don't or you know, don't or can't. Um, the, the biggest thing that I tell people when they ask me about wanting, you know, how, you know I, want to, I want to be a writer, I want to make money from that, um, what do I need to do? And the first thing I say is you just got to put yourself out there because 
I think we all like to think that, you know, we'll write our blogs and someone will come along and they'll read our blog and they'll go, oh, I love how she writes. I must have her write for me. And it's just just not how it works. You really have to put it out to people. So, you know, corporate writing is really where it's at. Copywriting, writing for businesses is really where the money is. You know, freelance writing for, you know, writing articles for magazines and online. I do know people who are making good money from that. But they are just full on. Like they pitch relentlessly. They find themselves with six or seven deadlines in two days because, you know, it's all feast or famine. So while I'm not saying, I'm saying that's a hard way to make money. They've found a way to do it. But the much easier way to make money from writing is to do it, you know, for businesses. And I always say to people, you know, if you come across a website and the copy is awful, just drop the person an email. Don't be offensive. Don't don't say, oh, my God, your copy is awful, but I can help you. Like, you know, just say, you know, I came across your website. I've got some ideas about how you can make your copy work much harder for you and connect much better with the people you're trying to attract. You know, could I send you a sample page or something? And just do that with businesses that you know or admire and you love. And, you know, as as soon as you start, you've done it for one business and they'll really like the work you've done for them and they'll recommend you to other people. And I think you guys will know that probably the vast majority of your work comes from people recommending you to other people. Absolutely. Um, so it's just a matter of you've got to put yourself out there first to get those recommendations. But once the recommendations start to flow, that work will start coming to you. And, you know, I, the beauty of writing is that it's so varied, like, and then I guess the other beauty of it is is that everybody's online now. Everybody has a website. Everyone has to have a website. Everyone needs to have an email newsletter. But all these people, you know, everyone should have a blog as well. So it's it's showing them that they need to have these things and then it's showing them the value in having somebody else do it for them, i.e. you. And then it's just a matter of doing it. So, you know, it's not an easy way to make money but certainly once you've put yourself out there and you've got those contacts made and you've got people referring you to other people, you know, it will happen and it certainly can be done. I know lots of people who are making good money from writing and it's a great lifestyle way to make money as well because, you know, you can control your hours, you can do it from anywhere, um, you know, and it's really brilliant when you've got kids. I think that's true, but I, I think a lot of people, myself included, there's a common theme of it's really easy to create yourself a job where you go, oh, yes, I can write from the beach if I want to, but I don't. I write from my office for eight hours, you know. So yeah. you have to um, make time for yourself to have the kind of freedom and flexibility that your job as a writer can actually provide. You have to make that happen. Oh, definitely. Oh, and when I say, yeah, you can write from anywhere, I don't necessarily mean the beach. I do, I do mean more that, you know, if for whatever, you know, if for whatever reason you have to travel or you have to go somewhere, like you're not bound to that yeah. often. It's nice to have it and it's, it is the ideal environment, but you're not at 100%. You know, if you walk away from your office, you can't write anymore. You've got a bit more flexibility than that. Absolutely. And I wanted to 
wrap up, we talked earlier about your process and, and things like that. And I wondered, mm-hmm. we're going to have some common questions through these interviews. And I wondered if you have maybe like a writer's fetish or a writing quirk. <laughs> you know, it's it's fetish sounds a bit rude, but it could be something you collect yeah. or you always are on the lookout for. Um, or maybe your quirk is you always follow a same, some kind of little niggly process every time you sit down to write or something like that. Oh, I definitely have every single writer's fetish for notebooks. And, of course, I have a drawer full of pristine, beautiful, untouched notebooks because you, you just can't – they're beautiful. You don't want to write in them because that will wreck them. I couldn't <laughs> agree more. Like, I couldn't agree more. I, too, have oh. a stationary thing. <laughs> and that's it. And I might so say I can't write just random notes in notebooks. I write random notes. I scribble notes on. I have several pads on my desk right now and they all have various different bits of scribble on them. And then I will transfer that scribble neatly to the odd notebook that I actually managed to crack. For the fact that I'm quite an organized and efficient person, I've not yet nailed down the whole process of note taking. And, you know, I have Evernote. And I do have a lot of stuff in Evernote, but I have got a horrendous amount of stuff written on little bits of paper all through the house, which is kind of offensive to me because it's so against the way that I operate in every other aspect of my life. But you know what it's like when an idea comes to you or something, it just has to be written down right there and then. But I have not yet figured out an effective way of bringing all those things into one place. Well, look, that was um, that was amazing, Kelly. I, I learned quite a lot there. Just you know, it's so interesting for us to talk to other uh, copywriters and, and, and writers and, and hear how they do things. And I'm hugely envious of your your book. I've written a couple of books myself, but no business books, and that that is definitely on my uh, bucket list for something that I want to do. So um, interesting to pick your brain on that. And I, I, I think we're pretty much done. Do you have anything else you want to ask, Belinda, or do you think we've grilled Kelly enough. Oh, I think we should let Kelly get back to her day. Thank you so much for your time, Kelly, and sharing all your wisdom about the blog writing and the editing. I think people are going to find this really useful. Oh, I hope so. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you guys having me on. It's lovely, lovely having a chat with you. Well, thanks very much for listening, everybody. That was Kelly Exeter. Don't forget, you can head to our podcast website and check out the show notes with links to Kelly's website, Facebook page, book, and all her many other antics. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please don't forget to leave us a rating and review on iTunes and Stitcher. Your review will help other copywriters find us. You can also head to hotcopypodcast.com and leave your comments on the blog post for this episode. Until next time, happy writing! I'm sorry, I pressed the wrong button and switched you both off. (laughs)